You're listening to There Auto Be a Law, the Center for Auto Safety podcast with Executive Director Michael Brooks, Chief Engineer Fred Perkins, and hosted by me, Anthony Simino. For over 50 years, the Center for Auto Safety has worked to make cars safer. I'll be careful. Okay. Recording is in progress. Welcome to the Picked Last podcast. I know. Good morning, world. It's is actually that recording world. locally for you? Yeah. Yeah, it's like recording. It's yeah. Hey, man, we've already covered where we're recording. Uh, this is uh, the Elon Musk happy hour, right? Because it's, well, not happy. It's the Elon well, Musk. A lot. There's, there's been a lot of uh, Tesla the past few weeks. I'm. You know, you get tired of talking about it, but it's just there's so much going on. The Cybertruck yeah. is what really put it over the top for me. The the, the autopilot stuff is uh, continues to be interesting because they clearly haven't done everything they can to fix their system, even with the recall. Yeah, so let's start in the in this this recall. So Tesla had a recall of pretty much every vehicle they've ever made. And a lot of the fanboys are like, it's not a recall, it's just a software update. That means every time you get an upgrade for your phone, that's a, your phone's been recalled. Yeah, that, have you know what? that's something that they just have to get over. I mean, the federal standards were written in you know the 60s and early 70s on this kind of thing. A recall does not signify that the vehicle is being brought into the dealership and that it's going to be repaired. I mean, that's tr- kind of what happens in a lot of circumstances. But recall is simply the phrase used to note when a vehicle has a safety defect and the manufacturer's admitting to it and there's going to be some sort of remedy whether that remedy is ot or not i mean i see a lot of knickers and bunches with with the tesla fanboys who it's not a recall because the car you know we're getting an over-the-air update and it's going to be fixed and there's no actual point where the vehicle is being recalled back to the dealer to be fixed well it's a recall because federal regulations say that's what a recall is when there's a safety defect that requires a remedy over the air update or not it's a recall so everybody should just relax on that one and just let recall the word mean a little more um than you think it does yeah if the nitsa calls it a recall and even tesla calls it a recall it's, it's a, recall. a recall yeah whether you like it or not yeah so what the the problem here so they had a uh update two million cars because i think it's they weren't giving drivers warnings that hey you're in the autopilot full self-driving mode uh but you got to keep your hands on the steering wheel right that's what's happening yeah i mean the recall is basically i mean it looks like what they're going to do in the remedy which you know there's some there's some if you look at the part 573 it says they're going to be putting additional restrictions around you know basically where and when you can um enable autopilot to be on and the one of the big problems here is that we don't think they're doing the where right. You know, it looks like they're going to be putting res- more restrictions on um, controlled access highways. They only, I mean, you're only supposed to be using this on controlled access highways like the interstates where there's no crossing traffic, no heavy trucks pulling out into the middle of the road where you could run under them with a Tesla not seeing them as we've seen in a number of circumstances. None of those situations. But 
the instead of doing geofencing, which we've discussed before, it would basically basically be getting a map out and figuring out where the controlled access highways are and preventing autopilot or full self-driving or any of the other junk from being used on um on any road but controlled access highways. Tesla's trying to figure out their, you know. Once again, they're kind of turning to their little camera and computer system in the car and say the AI is going to figure out, you know, where and when we are and when we can turn this on. And that just doesn't work. You know, GM and Ford are doing it using maps and locations. We know where the controlled access highways are in America. We don't need your car trying to figure it out and able to turn on autopilot. Just use geofencing and you solve that problem. It seems Tesla's being very resistant to that day, that idea. But in the 573... Let's remind the listener. Excuse me, let, let me jump in. Yep. I want to remind the listeners what the problem is. The problem is that several people have been killed in Teslas because autopilot, <clears throat> brand name autopilot, was engaged while they were driving on roads for which it was not designed. Now, there's a, a problem that arises because in the advertising, the, the promotional material associated with the cars, they are shown to be self-driving. And the name itself implies the name autopilot implies that it's on autopilot yet there is fine print in the website and in the owner's uh, documentation that says the system should only be engaged on limited access highways where certain conditions prevail which is that you know there is no cross traffic there are controlled access etc cetera, etc cetera. And what was discovered and what was found by both the NTSB and by NHTSA is that people are frequently using this system on roads for which it was not designed. So that's the background behind what uh, Michael's explanation was. Yeah, my favorite description of both uh, autopilot and full self-driving comes directly from Tesla itself. Because uh, we have a link to an article in the Wall Street Journal where Tesla faces at least a dozen lawsuits in the U.S. related to their driver assistance systems. That's autopilot, full self-driving. Uh, and uh, Tesla's lawyers have previously argued in court filings that its statements about its driver assistance technology, technology are legally protected forecasts, truthful opinions, or inactionable corporate puffery. Basically, the company is saying, hey, Thanks for giving us twelve grand for garbage. I mean, your, your own attorneys are just like, this is nonsense. All the stuff we say that, hey, this is self-driving, this is autopilot, this is just nonsense we're throwing out into the ether. Yeah, well, I mean, inactionable corporate puffery, puffery is a great phrase, <laughs> and it basically means we're blowing smoke up your ass and you can't do anything about it, um, which is what we're seeing, really. I mean... They're basically saying on one hand, you know, marketing and, you know, the legions of people who follow Tesla and their supporters are claiming that this is the next great thing. This is the next great biscuit and yeah. we're going to sell it to everybody. And um, what's ultimately happening is, you know, when when people believe that they've got these advanced driving capabilities that only work some of the time and you allow them to turn it on whenever they want and, and outside of situations where it's designed, then you come you run into a big problem and they've run into this problem and when when that problem occurs and you go to court tesla says well you know we didn't design it to do any of those things those are those are you know our users are using these these vehicles um 
abilities outside of areas or in conditions where we didn't design them and we warned them not to. Um, so yes, the, the, their puffery is getting in the way of the areas where, where, where people are allowed to access. If you're going to give people those types of, um, you know, tech to use in their vehicles, you have to put restrictions on it to limit it to where it's actually been tested and can be proven to be used safely. And if you don't, then you, you may be on the hook as Tesla hopefully soon, find, soon finds out. Revision at least gives you a placebo effect. But, you know, folks, you need to be aware that even though there's AI in the cars, it's not sophisticated enough to benefit from the placebo effect. So don't squander your money on worthless promotions that, you know, a company offers to make you feel good. That's what this one does. And unfortunately, instead of making it feel good, it can kill you. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people under the impression and not wrongly that, hey, Tesla's creating self-driving cars because they have something called full self-driving. They're the only ones doing autonomous vehicles. They're at the head of the pack. And I kind of want to take a different tack. And I don't think they have any involvement at all in self-driving cars or autonomous vehicles. They, they, they um, I mean, they don't. They can say it as much as they want, but in every legal filing they've ever made, they're calling it level two, which, as we know, is not anywhere near level four, which is where you really need to be before you start to say, hey, we've got a self-driving car or we've got a robo-taxi. Um, yeah. You could say we've got a bad half-functional robo-taxi, and you might be correct, but you're never going to be able to claim level four, particularly when you've got humans intervening in any way whatsoever. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a very complex area. It's confusing, and and Tesla has expertly used that to their advantage to sell a lot of vehicles that can't do what their marketing really leads consumers to believe that it can. So it's interesting because. Uh, I mean, I'm no lawyer, but it sounds like fraud to me, or at least it sounds like um, it's it sounds kind of like bait and switch or some unethical behavior saying, hey, this is what we're selling. They'll put it in their SEC filing saying we're doing this, but their own lawyers say this is inactionable corporate puffery uh, and they get away with it. Whereas on the other hand, you have a company like uh, Nikolai, Nikola, uh, Nikola. where they're the Trevor <laughs> who ran that company, but it kind of did the same thing. He's like, Hey, look, I have this autonomous truck and he produced a video saying, look at it work. And it was just a, you know, a car a truck with a, the handbrake off and it rolled down a hill. And now he's been sentenced for committing fraud and getting away with it. So is it just that like, where, where's that weird line difference? Like, Elon gets away with it, whereas this guy didn't get away with it. It was the extent of the lie that he didn't produce well, I anything. I don't know. Here's where I think the line is, and it's it's not a very clear line, but it's kind of the you know the Biogen or the Elizabeth Holmes line where you built a box, and what's going on inside of that box is either nothing like what you said it is, which is similar to the Nikola case, where basically they were saying, yeah, we have this prototype, and it can do all of this when there's no such prototype 
um, versus a Tesla where they're saying, hey, we've got this vehicle and it can do all these things. It just doesn't do them very well at all. There's actually, you know, a system there in the Tesla vehicles. It's intended to, you know, allow the vehicle to drive itself somewhat. You know, we know they have modes like summon where the vehicle is going to drive itself across the parking lot to you. Um, there are situations where the vehicle is doing what's what's it matches up with some of their claims whereas in nicola and in some of the other fraud situations there was never such a prototype in existence there was never any piece of technology that even remotely came close to what the claims were here at least they've done a half-assed job of it right with tesla i think that's for me looking at all those situations that would be the defining line um and it's you know it's kind of what blurring those lines is is what tesla has been really good at um as as they've built this business so boys and girls if you're gonna uh create bs at least do a bad prototype yeah at least do a half-ass <laughs> job yeah exactly and then you can get away hey, with whatever you want yeah i want to talk about nickel for just a second i went to their website where they put up a response uh you know after the conviction of their former ceo uh, four years in jail, I think, something like that. Right. And they wrote, uh, quote, Nikola has a strong foundation and is in the process of achieving our mission to decarbonize the trucking industry, which is our focus, Nikola's statement said. You know, what's really interesting about that is that their electric cars will have a less thermodynamic efficiency and actually produce more carbon than the diesel trucks that they're uh, claiming to replace. A large diesel engine in a truck generally gets about 55% overall thermodynamic efficiency, meaning the energy in the fuel into torque out of the engine. Typical power plants only get about 30 to 40% efficiency or 30 to 35% efficiency. And with a cogeneration system, you can get up to 40, maybe 42% efficiency. So the actual large diesels they're trying to replace are much more efficient and will put less carbon in the air than these electric trucks that Nikola is touting are going to decarbonize the planet. So this is this whole truck policy, this whole business is built on a lie. And um, yeah, in the future when we're all solar and everything is is great and bluebirds fly everywhere, they will contribute to decarbonizing the world, but that's a, that future is a long way off, folks. Uh, this reminds me of my teacher who once said that if there's a if there's a gold rush, sell shovels, and Nikola is really shoveling it here. <laughs> yeah, Nikola is an, an amazing company where it's complete fiction. They raise billions of dollars from the public market on this complete fiction. Send one guy after jail, and everyone else. The company keeps the money and like, hey, well, let's start building something now. Um, you know, I wish them well, but who knows? Who knows what's going to happen with them? So let's jump back into to Tesla autopilot geofencing. I think uh, we'll hit that real quick again because there are similar products from Ford and GM where it's this system will only work on these roads at this time. If you try to engage it somewhere else, it won't work. And now even Mercedes, they got they have approval for level three system, which says, hey, you don't have to pay attention. You can go ahead and use this system on specific roads that are geofenced and mapped in Nevada and California. 
and now it's kind of neat, I think, that uh, the Mercedes, when it's in this level three mode, it has these exterior lights in turquoise letting other drivers know that, hey, this car is literally driving itself, and it lets the police know, hey, this person might be watching a movie, but the car's doing what it does instead. I let like pedestrians know they should run like the wind. <laughs> it's good. I mean, this is really good that it like you're warning other drivers, hey, you're partaking in I, I, I don't want to say quite quite a beta test on this because Mercedes has had this system in Germany running for a couple of years. Like they they're not quite being like, I don't know, just throw some things up and we'll always just do a software update and fix it when we kill enough people. So I mean, is Look it how, see it's more very of basic, right? It's right. just, you know, you're in traffic, you're under X speed, you're basically bumper to bumper traffic following the vehicle in front of you. I think that even the software to be engaged requires that you be behind a vehicle. You have to be the following vehicle. Right. So it's, it's not exactly, you know, astrophysics type planning. You know, you have to follow the vehicle in front of you. Um, but, you know, the, the, I completely lost my point. Well, that's that's <laughs> somebody take know. it away and I'll come back to it. Um, no, but where this falls apart is that these systems that have been qualified, you talked about Ford GM and Mercedes, they're all based on high definition maps of the areas where they're allowed to be used, right? That was one of the key findings about the uh, quality problems with Tesla. The problem is that most of the events that are going to occur that will challenge you are not on the maps. Collisions right, that occur on the road are not on the maps. Police by the side of the road are not on the maps. Uh, floods, potholes, trucks crossing, those are not on the maps. So, uh, you know, still be cautious, folks. Mind those turquoise lights. And that's that's my my point was about the turquoise lights. And when, when you look at that, that is that's not just a warning to people, to to many folks on the roads. And I'm thinking rush hour folks who don't seem to be ever content with the lane they're in. Um, <laughs> you're basically giving them a beacon that says, "Come cut me off," because my car is going to slow down and let you in. And you know. It's 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 going to be submissive to your advances versus actively resisting your ability to cut cut in line or do whatever. So there's some some I believe some folks who are going to take advantage of those warnings, um, just like we, we we've we've seen a lot of people take advantage of autonomous vehicles and cut them off and, and use the tech to to do things that they wouldn't really consider if there was an, a, a human operating the vehicle at that moment. Hmm, that, that's an interesting take. Uh so uh, let's jump back to Tesla again because we're we're kind of in this thread. And Elon always claims, he's like, hey, if you want to have the safest car on planet Earth, buy our car. If you don't want to have a safe car and be dangerous, buy somebody else's car. And there's this myth, myth that he's created, basically, and all of his army has said, yes, Tesla's everyone's the safest thing. With autopilot engaged, it's safer. With full self-driving, it's safer. We're saving lives. We're doing all this saving lives. They quote this one uh, study that some uh, company had access to cell phone data this uh, this consulting firm they said oh look it's got some better data here but like that is really dubious at best it's everyone's had a bunch of questions around really where did the data come from 
So well, they've now got there's... the data. They're just not showing well, it to us, yeah. right? Well, Tesla has the data. Yeah, they <laughs> won't share. Tesla has all of this data. They will not share any data about that's, that underlies their claims about how safe autopilot or full self-driving is because it's all part of the myth they're trying to create that the, that the computer is better than us as drivers. Um, but ultimately, and just like we've talked with the self-driving companies and crews who d- did a very similar thing, they were trying to be Tesla light at level four. They they just won't show us the data, and ultimately, I mean, if you're if you've got it and it proves all of this out and it bears out your your hypothesis that these vehicles are safer than than human drivers, why, why aren't you showing it? Yeah. So who do we turn to when these companies won't do it? We turn to the to uh, the insurance industry, and in this case, uh, Lending Tree. Uh, an article in Jalopnik. Uh, new status emerged to Tesla Bros, a light on social media platforms around the world. Tesla drivers are involved in crashes more than the drivers of any other car brand. Uh, for its analysis, LendingTree analyzed tens of millions of insurance quotes involving 30 different automakers between the dates of November 14th, 2022 and November 14th, 2023. The study revealed that Tesla drivers have 23.54 accidents per 1,000 drivers. The EV maker is followed by Ram, 22.76, and Subaru at 20.90. And that's mainly because Subaru drivers, their Birkenstocks get stuck underneath the accelerator pedal, and they can't undo it. Is that right, Mr. Perkins? Yeah, that's happened to me many times. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. I, And the Washington Post has done an extensive dive into the fact that people using autopilot are bad drivers. They're using it in places they shouldn't use it, and and it's unsafe. Well, the 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 lending tree data doesn't seem to differentiate between you know use in autopilot or full self driving mode versus just the Tesla driver going down the road. But, sure. um, I mean that that their claims are you know they they those are in stark contrast to what. Tesla has been promoting, which is that their their drivers and their vehicles are safer than anything out there without backing it up with any data. Well, Lending Tree has some data and they've released it and it says the opposite. So you would think at some point it's incumbent on Tesla to actually show us where they're getting this. Um, at what point does, you know, inactionable corporate puffery become, <laughs> you know, a, a fraud upon the citizens of the United States who are relying on your statements to purchase a vehicle that might be, you know, endanger them more than another one. So um, that that's all remain to be seen in, in courts across the country over the next few years, I think. Well, I mean, if you're in a Tesla, I mean, on a positive note, it does really well in crashes. I mean, you can drive it off a cliff. Yeah, I mean, you got great crashworthiness there, although, you know, the caveat is that, you know, there are now, what, 15, 20 cyber trucks on America's roads, which probably don't have the greatest crashworthiness. But that yeah. remains and to be clear, well. do not drive your Tesla off a cliff. Bad, Anthony, <laughs> bad. I was not suggesting people do that. I think just push it off a cliff instead, you know, and be like, oh, this was a dumb choice. Why do I keep getting picked last? You know why you keep getting picked last? Because you haven't donated to the Center for Auto Safety. People, it's getting towards the end of the year. You got to get in those tax deductions or even just don't do it for a tax deduction. Just do it because you enjoy the dulcet tones of Fred Perkins. You enjoy the legal analysis of Michael Brooks. And just because you're like, eh, they make fun of Elon. Elon, he sucks. Let's... Let's do that. Okay, that's a weird reason to donate, but hey, any reason to donate is a good reason, right? Autosafety.org. Click the red donate button. 
That's how. Hey, we do we do have it. people uh, collecting donations at the doors to Piggly Wiggly? Oh my God! Or, or, or well, I'm, I'm actually, you know, AI and, and automation impacts lots of parts of our lives now. And my understanding is that there are now kiosks that have replaced the bell ringers that allow you to submit a donation without any of the real holiday cheer that used to take place. They've replaced the bell ringers with the machine. Wait, the because of the Salvation Army there, they have the bell ringers, people dressed up as Santa, and there, there's now just a it's a kiosk. I believe they're rolling those out. That's oh. just sad. Do they do they at least dress up the kiosks like Santa? Well, that's what that's I was wondering. Point. Does the kiosk ring its own little bell? And that's certainly <laughs> not as charming. And can I sit in the kiosk's lap? Wait. All right, last last Tesla story, okay? This is just too funny. So we talked about full self-driving and autopilot. The state of California is like, this is false advertising. You can't do that. And Tesla's response is, you're violating my First Amendment rights to lie and talk bullshit. So fascinating uh, little story there, but I'm, and I'm sure. Uh, yeah, you know, there's a, there are a lot of stupid interpretations of what the First Amendment means these days. Um, I've seen some stupid interpretations of the 14th Amendment the last couple of days, too. But, you know, it's some we're going to have to reckon with this. You know, there's a big difference between an individual, an individual's right to free speech and a corporation's right to bullshit you into buying their vehicles and until one kills you. Um, and there's got to be a reckoning here. And I don't bet Elon Musk is on the right side of this one. Um, I also don't think that Alex Jones should be back on Twitter and given a platform to spew some of the actionable puffery that 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 he continues to do. So there's a lot. Of, uh, I don't know. I think we need some better arbiters of the First Amendment than um, Elon and his flock of lawyers. Hmm. Uh, all right. Well, let's jump to a different topic now. No more Tesla, at least that I'm aware of. Uh, hey guys, what's the number one resistance for people buying EVs? What's always the thing at the top of their list? Fred. Range envy. Yes, Michael. The top of the list for EV owners has got to be, I mean, it, it almost all the issues that we're seeing would be around range. I mean, in range when you're towing or in the cold or you know, on a vacation when you want to get a thousand miles and you don't want to have to charge four different times or three different times. So that's so, it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot about that. That's where the the gas and the ice vehicles really, you know, show their stuff. You pull into a gas station and you're out in 10 minutes and you go another three to 400 to 500 miles, depending on what kind of fuel economy you have. 10 minutes. Really? It takes me that long just to figure out which kind of candy I want to buy inside the Mart. But it's Hey, you're special. right. It, it is range, and we've talked about this before. And now Stellantis, what's Stellantis? You ever hear of Chrysler? Well, now they're owned by Stellantis. Uh, Stellantis is becoming one of the first Western automakers to embrace battery swapping technology. That's right. You pull your car into a location. You put the battery in a bowl. You hang out for a bit. Then you grab a new battery and leave. Wait, no, wait. That's not what we're doing here. Uh, Stellantis is betting that the EV charging infrastructure in Europe and the U.S. will remain a barrier to adoption in the near future. Necess necess necessitating, you know, making it necessary for other solutions. Uh, battery swapping could theoretically help EV owners power up and get moving without having to wait for long stretches at a charging station. We've talked about this before. It's literally like you, your battery is low. You pull into a place, boom, battery drops out, new battery pops in. Uh, you don't have to sit there, plug in, wait for an hour and be like, where's the nearest Piggly Wiggly? 
We like this. Yeah, idea. no, you don't have to. You just have to sit in line between five other cars that are also waiting to get their batteries replaced because it's Christmas Eve and they've run out of charged batteries. I, th- I think this is a, a dumb idea whose time it has come. And dad joke alert. <laughs> if you elect to not buy an electric vehicle because of your concern about how far it can go, are you deranged? <laughs> End of joke. So, you know, I, I this it's going to be, I, I think it's going to be really difficult to get this idea up to scale mainly because I don't know if you're going to get Stellantis is doing, but you, I think ultimately make it work. You're going to have to have a lot more automakers buy in and they're making money producing their own batteries. Why would they want to move to a system where batteries are more standardized? You know, like all cars can pull into a, a gas pump and find what fuel they need there, but pulling into a facility and finding a battery that's specific to your make and model is going to be a lot more difficult than pulling into one and finding one that's been standardized to work on every vehicle. So the way things are going now, you know, you've got certain manufacturers who are making advances towards solid state battery technology, and they're putting a lot of money into researching and getting those out. And they're going to want to recoup that investment. And it's going to be much more difficult for them to do so if there is no standardization if there is standardization and we have battery swapping going on i don't think they're you know they're going to be able to recoup as much of that as they would otherwise so i you know i think it's good that stellantis is going this way and i've been in favor of this idea primarily because it would allow people who are only using their vehicle for 50 miles a day to get to work and back or to 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 change the size of the battery that's in your vehicle and thereby change the weight of the vehicle, which would be a big positive in crashes. We don't all need to be carrying around a battery that gets you know three to four hundred miles in range all the time. Um, but ultimately, scaling that solution to where it becomes the standard in the United States, while we're at the same time rolling out you know supercharger networks across the country. Um, that that take a different tack at at solving the problem. I I I, I wish Stellantis the best, but um, I I I don't know that it's going to ultimately be successful. This is a Chinese company named Neo that is already putting this kind of technology in place in Europe. I'm not sure how well they're doing, but I want to remind our listeners that there's a technology called plug-in hybrid that is very good thermodynamic efficiency that is less expensive than the battery powered vehicles and has unlimited range. So uh, just a thought folks, when you're pulling out your wallet to buy the next car. All right. And then, uh, but, but what if I want a big fat battery so I can get my Hummer and go race car speed uh, and hurl 9,000 pounds down the highway with zero training. What if I want to In that case, bless you, merry gentlemen. Go on your way. Freedom of choice, Anthony. You can buy that right now. So I, this is a this is a real question. So like the the Cybertruck and the the Hummer, the Cybertruck will go zero to sixty in like two point what two seconds, whereas an F one car does the same sort of acceleration. But an F one car is designed for that. It has massive safety features, and it's driven by people who spent their entire life <laughs> driving those cars with tons and tons of training. There's an entire team watching thousands of data points and telemetrics. 
So I understand how F1 cars can do this. Why is it allowed? Why can you buy a car that has that type of power to any schmo on the street? That's that's nuts. Well, there are no laws or regulations preventing the deployment of those anywhere. This is ah, oh. then you know there ought to be a law. Ha! Come on, nothing. Come on, guys. Well, how much do F one cars weigh? By the way, aren't they trying to make them lighter and faster? Right. So They're, yeah, they weigh a thousand kilograms. So so they're coming in at about a fourth of the size of a right, and they're hybrid, right? Yeah, and they're hybrids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're um, they got big batteries. Their engines are getting smaller. The batteries are getting bigger. Actually, wait, I think no, I think they weigh a thousand pounds, not a thousand kilograms. I don't know. So it would be, you know, you've got to think it's going to be much safer if we just allowed, you know, made F one street legal and gave people that option over the Hummers, right? I mean, those cars are pretty safe. I mean, we I've seen some crash test footage, and you know they they survive. But uh, yeah, I want to get back to the I want to get back to the <laughs> the basic problem here, which is that horsepower is a really poor way to decide which vehicle you're going to get because any vehicle can generate tremendous amounts of horsepower. The question is for how long and under what circumstances. So you've got a container ship that is crossing the ocean generating a thousand horsepower for several weeks or right for 20 years. But the car that you're buying that generates a thousand horsepower can do it for maybe a second. And during that one second, while you are generating a thousand horsepower, your life will probably flash before your eyes because you haven't been trained on how to do this. And you're likely spinning the tires and the car is going out of control very rapidly. So you're really squandering money if you use horsepower as a way of deciding which vehicle you're going to buy. You should really look at the whole um, spectrum of how this horsepower is going to be used and for what purpose. If you can safely maneuver your vehicle onto a controlled access highway with 100 horsepower, why do you really need 500 horsepower? Uh, you know, if if you can get a if you can get a speeding ticket with your 125 horsepower pickup truck, why in the world do you want to have 750 horsepower? It's it's really really dumb um, I'm a little man, and I'm dangerous. People, I'm big. That's what, I, again? I said because I'm a little man and I want to prove to people that I'm big. Okay, I guess I'm big. So. What would you say? So would you say this is like the responsibility of a person to take all reasonable measures necessary to prevent activities that could result in the harm of, to other individuals and property? Wait, is it time for the Tao of Fred? You've Duty now entered the Tao of Fred. <laughs> Duty of care. I love this one, actually, because I don't know what the hell I'm talking about for the most part. But uh, I that was happily, we've got Michael in the conversation here to talk about that. But duty of care is a... Uh, hmm, a legal construct in tort law, right, Michael, that says you can't just argue that you didn't know what was coming. If you're engaged in this activity, you have to assume a certain amount of responsibility, and there's no way to weasel your way out of it. Is, is that what duty cares all about, Michael? Right. It's, it's something that we really wish the folks over at Tesla would think about a little more when allowing people to turn on these systems. Yeah, you just think there's about a, duty. So the, go ahead. I, think, I was just saying they just Tesla just thinks about the word duty and they think, oh, can we have a duty button, a duty mode? Uh-huh. 
I think they've lost friends too often. The friends used to be big on duty as well. Uh But, uh, okay, but duty care sounds good, but there's really a a big problem with duty of care in uh, self-driving vehicles or autonomous vehicles. In military and sophisticated commercial systems, there's something called bidirectional traceability. And by definition, it's a two-way relationship between two products. For example, the relationship between a requirement and the design of a given software component, and the relationship between the design of the software component and a requirement that satisfies. All right, yada, yada, yada. What this really means is that if your self-driving vehicle is going to turn left, it should be traceable to a requirement that says the vehicle is going to turn left under certain circumstances. Um, If you have a requirement that says it should turn left, then you should be able to do a test that says it really actually does turn left in these circumstances, right? So it's bidirectional traceability. A cause should have an effect, and effect should be traceable to a cause. The problem that arises in these vehicles is that they all use artificial intelligence. And artificial intelligence is a black box. It is not traceable. So you, there is no way that you can use traditional software qualification techniques to say, I have a cause, I have a requirement, and that's going to cause this thing to happen. Similarly, something happens so I can trace it back to a line in the software that says it should happen. <clears throat> so the only way, the only way to determine whether or not your vehicle actually subscribes to the requirements, in order, in other words, to validate the software that you've got, is to do a, statist- a test and look at the statistics associated with the test to make sure that it meets the reliability and performance requirements that you want it to have. So why not just do this? Well, in order to generate anything like uh, 99% reliability that the software is saying turn left will actually result in the vehicle turning left, You've got to do hundreds of tests, and you've got to do hundreds of tests in a very controlled environment. And if you change anything in that controlled environment during the test, you've got to do the test again, right? There's no, uh, you can't really fudge the test. Right. Nobody does this, folks. The world doesn't have enough money to do this. And if you think of something like the uh, cruise event in San Francisco, where the unfortunate woman was run over by the cruise vehicle under any circumstances. Imagine what it would take to run that test hundreds of times to generate a response that says, my software responded appropriately to this condition. It's virtually impossible. And that's only one of the millions of circumstances that arise that need to be validated in your development of the the vehicle. So if you're going to do this bi-directional traceability, You've, you've got a real problem. There's not enough money in the world to do this for any individual vehicle. And if you change the software, well, that restarts the clock. You got to do it all over again, right? So you you do the test, you run a little tweak, it operates better the next time. Um, great. You restarted the clock, you got to do all those hundreds of tests all over again. Wait, so real now, quick, the way so, this, go ahead. So if, so if anything changes, so even if you're driving down the road and one of your sensors get dirty, is that you know, like your your camera gets one of your many cameras on your car gets occluded somehow. Like, it, yeah, that, that invalidates. 
that invalidates the test. Oh my God. So I didn't think of that. So why is this a problem? Well, actuaries are the people in the insurance industry who figure out what the risk is, right? And how in the world can an actuary or the insurance industry figure out what the risk is and consequently what the insurance coverage should be if it's literally impossible to run the series of tests that are required to validate the software progression through this black box, which is the artificial intelligence? It's simply not possible. It will never be able, the world will never be able to look at any individual AV and say that under all circumstances, it has even a 90% probability of doing the correct things with 95% confidence. There's there's not enough money in the world to do that. There's not enough test space in the world to do that. So AVs will never, ever be able to satisfy the criteria that you have bidirectional traceability between requirements and performance for any extensive set of uh, circumstances that endanger the lives of either the person in the car, the passengers in the car, or the, the vulnerable road users in the vicinity of the vehicle. So this duty of care is uh, this duty of care is going to be a real problem for the developers. They're, they will fight it tooth and nail, and we on the consumer advocacy side should also fight tooth and nail for the duty of care to be assigned to self-driving vehicles. Is there, there, oh, is there any way forward you see on this? Because there's, I mean, there's uh, there's good things that come out of AI in terms of like pattern recognition. So we can see, okay, this is a traffic light and this is what it's doing and and things of that level. So there sure, is some- but, but okay, it's easy to say this is a traffic light, but right. from the engineering perspective, you've got to say, I recognize that this is a traffic light with X percentage of reliability and with the Y percentage of confidence. Now, the confidence thing is a little bit confusing because what the confidence level says is, if I repeat this test series under the exact same circumstances within the limits of what the test can do, what is my what is the likelihood that I will come up with the same reliability result as I did the previous time? All right, so if you, if you have low confidence and you run the test again, you're very unlikely to come up with the same reliability result. Hmm. Now that's a that's a sophisticated concept, but that's an engineering approach to determining what the risk is. Now this actually this discussion actually bleeds over into the um, ARC recall that we'll be talking about perhaps later or maybe another day, uh, because the statistics exist. Engineers know how to do this, Engi- at least. Good engineers know how to do this, but you know it's possible to quantify the safety of a vehicle theoretically. Practically, it's impossible because the bean counters rule. They will never authorize enough money to do this uh, under any circumstances for any AV, guaranteed. So, how do you you know how do you quantify the risk? The only way the insurance company is going to be able to do it is to say, all right, we'll let these suckers drive down the road and see how many people they kill. And over time, we'll figure out how many people are dying and we'll you know, set that as the bar for what we need to do in terms of insurance uh, coverage for these vehicles. That's a pretty grim approach, but there's no, there's, there's no other approach that the bean counters are going to allow on the developer side. That's just Tesla's business model. 
Okay. It is Tesla's business model. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, forgive the pond going down that road. I yeah, there's one thing I'm worried, I'm wondering about here in relation to Tesla. You know, they tout, you know, the machine learning capability of their vehicles. And if you can't trace those learning steps, it's, you know, you, it doesn't seem like you can just plug in a camera to your car and send it down the roads and it's going to learn everything. And then you're going to put people in those cars because they're safe now. Even even at level two and three, it seems like you have to validate everything that that computer learns or that AI learns during that process in order to demonstrate that the vehicle is going to operate safely. It seems like there's an inherent tension, I guess, between that Good kind note, of composition. Sorry, say that again, please. You drifted up for a second. It, it seems like there's kind of an inherent contradiction between the the process of machine learning as it's been advertised by some of these manufacturers in relation to vehicles and a duty of care because you can't truly validate whether the machine has learned in some respects or you can't trace the the vehicle's you know activity to a specific line of code like you say you're kind of you're, you're relying upon the ai to produce results but you can't necessarily predict or control or document those results in a safety case for instance all right all right no, that's absolutely right you know ai is great for looking at a picture of a flower comparing it to a database of flowers and saying okay this is probably a periwinkle i have 90 percent reliability in my result and I've got 50% confidence. Well, you know, that's great, but nobody's going to die if your periwinkle is misidentified. When ARC was on Capitol Hill, they said that their inflators had 95% reliability, excuse me, yeah, wasn't it? 95% reliability with 50% confidence. Right. Are you kidding me? What a piece mm -hmm. of junk. And, you know, how in the world? How in the world does NHTSA let this junk go out on the highway? And yes, it will save people's lives because more often than not, it's going to work probably. But for crying out loud, you know, go to Mill Standard Three Twenty Two, Mill Standard Three Two Two. Everybody can download it for free, for free, I should say, and you will find it listed in their tables for what kind of reliability and confidence you can find if you do a certain number of tests for any kind of vehicle, right? And so you're looking at hundreds of tests to produce 99% reliability and, uh, you know, is anything like 99% confidence. So, uh, Anthony, well, you know, how confident should people be about an airbag inflator? Pick the numbers. I would say I would like to be 100% confident. Oh, you're never going to make it in the OEM business. Uh, Michael, yeah. pick some numbers. I mean, 99.9999999% confidence. Oh, you guys are failures. You're never going to make it in the automobile <laughs> industry. Um, you know, but if I were to sit here and say, well, you know, 95% sounds pretty good. And um, I'll say 50% confidence. That is perfectly acceptable I from the NISA perspective and the industry perspective. And it's, uh, it's just not good, folks, just not good. Uh, there's standards that are available freely over this miraculous thing called the internet that anybody at NHTSA can use. And when I looked at the NHTSA response to the uh, ARC 
information that you sent out this morning, Michael. It's interesting that somebody there read that and they were told not to cite, uh, apparently, or they were told not to cite the specific reference because when they talk about the shortcomings that were identified by the manufacturers in the data, it, it goes chapter and verse to exactly what we were talking about. But maybe we'll get to that today, maybe not. Anyway, going to wrap up duty of care for now, unless you folks have got some uh, some other comments to make. No, I think that was very helpful. It makes me afraid for living in the future. Um, but maybe things will not be better in the future, as you say. Um, I don't know what we're all going to do. But yeah, that was a that that right there is a perfect reason to donate to the Center for Auto Safety because where else are you going to get that kind of information, huh? Nowhere. Ford's not going to tell you that. GM's not going to tell you that. No, Tesla, I mean, come on. They're the greatest things since sliced bread. But they don't have to tell you that because they're the greatest things ever. And if you don't believe them, you know, go fuck yourself. But hey, speaking of that, apologize for my aggressive language. It's time for uh, some recalls. Recall recall. Uh, this week, it's going to be uh, my headlights are uh, all messed up. We'll start with Infinity. So uh, certain model year, that's funny, certain model year 2022 to 24 Infinity QX60s equipped with adaptive front light systems manufactured from different dates in Smyrna, Tennessee. Uh, the headlights will uh, inadvertently, they will have an incorrect tilt value as a result when this vehicle speed is over 81 miles per hour, if the headlights are in auto mode. The they will the headlights will adjust to the greatest downward angle. Wait a second. Okay, so we we're just talking about hey, the, you can't trace AI and like machine learning and whatnot. I, yeah, I don't want that in my car. But they can't even get the headlights working correctly. So maybe it's designed to wink at you to let people yeah. know that you know you're all on the same side. Yeah, though we're doing 81 miles per hour. That's a very specific number. Like if I hit 81 miles per hour, my headlights fail. First of yeah, all, people, really anything over that amount, you know. Right. And you should only be driving that fast if you're in the state of Texas, because I believe that's the only state that allows you to go that fast. Or if you're an F1 driver. Yeah. And this is a, I think it's just, you know, you've got to go back to uh, the dealer for this one. It's it's somewhat software related, but they've got to reconfigure your settings to make sure that you're basically your headlights don't point downward at an extreme angle when you're going too fast. Would that be bad? That's well, bad. it's going to prevent you from from seeing things like deer, which, as we know from your experiences, are, are um, something you definitely don't want to hit at eighty-one miles per hour or greater. Surprisingly massive. Yes, that's right. So the next bad headlights are from the car that I own, a Lamborghini. <laughs> Uh, this is potentially, this is amazing, potentially 7,805 vehicles. I had no idea they made that many. This is the 2015. Yeah, that's a lot of them. Yeah, 2015. Usually a Lamborghini recall is about 15 of them, but right. <laughs> this is so a lot of model years. This is a lot of them, 2015 to 24, the Hurricane. Uh, the effective vehicles have a function on the infotainment system, of course, the infotainment mm -hmm. system, which allows the selection of headlight aiming for left-hand driving tourist mode wait what additionally the front light adaptive front light system may have been adjusted outside of production specifications for the u.s market wait what, what you get to headlight aiming you get to control headlight aiming for tour i this is I, i'm not familiar with these these features i i didn't read this part of my owner manual for my 
for my Lamborghini Huracan. Like, we're going to see a lot more of this. This is talking about the adaptive headlights. And what the adaptive headlights do is they illuminate your side of the road when you're when there's an approaching car, but they dim the lights on the other side of the road so they don't dazzle the driver of the approaching car. Oh, I like it. So this feature is associated with the fact that sometimes these cars are in countries with left-hand drive and sometimes in countries with right-hand drive. Mm -hmm. So they basically screwed up and didn't get it right. I got it. Oh, I like that because I, I too many lights these days just blind me. It's uh, I don't enjoy driving at night. I think some people have really bad headlights, mainly those trucks. And uh, I don't like it. So this is cool. Uh, okay, I'm on board with this. So, hey, fellow Lamborghini owners, I will see you at our Swiss bank account. And uh, then, we'll, you know, we'll we'll go drag race and we'll go, ha, 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 look at the pores in their Ferraris. Ah, so next recall we got is a little company called Ford Motor Company, potentially 5,100 plus vehicles. The 2022 to 2023 F-150 Lightning does not contain actual Lightning. They are equipped with 15-inch touchscreen. <laughs> that, that's how the recall notice starts. I don't even want to read anymore. Let's. <laughs> so, Michael, what what is this one? So, basically, this one's pretty simple. Every time you turn your vehicle on, the electronic stability control is supposed to come on, and in this case, it is not coming on every time these folks are they're turning on the vehicle, which is a problem in every car, but particularly when you're in a large, heavy truck, your electronic stability control is incredibly important. Um, when th that was put into place, uh, partly because of the Ford Firestone rollover problems around the year 2000. And it it has really, really helped reduce the number of rollover accidents that we see every year. And so it's incredibly important that that comes on every time you, you turn on your vehicle. So um, this one looks like they're going to fix it through a Ford over-the-air update, which the Lightnings are capable of doing. So no one will have to bring it into their dealer. And... You know, I'm not sure, but it may notification. It looks like this one's going to be done with that, you know, with your next software update sometime in November. So it should have already taken place. And yet this is just receiving notice and we're just talking about it. So wait, so that Ford Firestone thing you're talking about in the 2000s? <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. What, was there any like sort of organization that was really pushing to get Ford to fix their stuff. We were really, really, really pushing hard to get that done. And um, it, you know, Clarence Titlow, who was our executive director at the time, testified on a number of occasions before Congress about the issue. And it was a, a, a giant problem. There was a kind of a dual problem there and that the tires were manufactured poorly and subject to um, sidewall damage, tread separation, issues that and when you lose a tire on a top heavy ford explorer as they were designed at the time um and you don't have any type of electronic stability control or even if you just run off the road and don't you don't lose a tire um you can have tripping incidents that that make make it really easy for those vehicles to roll over um and electronic electronic stability control um in the years since nitsa required it um has really really helped prevent a lot of those types of incidents 
So can I make the wild leap that the Center for Auto Safety is partly responsible for this recall? Because I just did. Hey, donate. Yeah, I think you could make that leap. You know, a lot of people are involved. It's never just us, that's for sure. Nah, it's always just us. Don't listen. I I do want to add that the Ford F-150 is one of these electric vehicles that has excess horsepower. And so the stability control is particularly important because if you are unfortunate enough to step on the accelerator uh, all the way to the floor and everything kicks in and there's any... (laughs) <laughs> and as any tire spin, your car is going to go wildly out of control very rapidly without the electronic stability control. So this is, I don't think this was in the notice, but it's a, its another danger that's associated with uh, this particular vehicle and the electronic stability control. So that's another vote for getting an excessively heavy electric vehicle that will go race car speeds. Hey! Oh, wait, no, you're you're against that. I'm confused. Last recall, Kia of America, 2,300 vehicles. Uh, this is 2023 Kia Souls, certain 23 mile, uh, models manufactured uh, in April of this year. Um, has problem with their side curtain airbags. They will inadvertently inflate uh, due to a welding error in the stored gas section of the hybrid inflator. The side curtain airbag may inflate inadvertently, inadvertently without a deployment camp command. Um, what, what's uh, more welding issues with these inflators? What's yeah, this, who made this, this one? Interesting. Is this... It sounds a lot like some of the other things we've seen, um, maybe with ARC and others. But here, you basically have there's the welding error basically makes this diffuser disc within the within the inflator break so when that happens when it breaks the gas is released and the side curtain curtain airbag inflates and that's regardless of whether you've been in an accident or had a signal to the inflator to deploy so it could literally happen at any time um and if you've seen side curtain airbags inflate and you've seen um they, they, they're really gonna get in the way of a driver um and not only the surprise of them but continuing to drive and hopefully hopefully when you know the, the vehicle is powered down when this occurs but it seems like a, a really sketchy situation having a side curtain inflator um or side cut curtain airbag deploy while you're in while you're trying to focus on your driving task so that's yeah, something you really the detail on this might not be obvious is that this is a hybrid inflator. And what that means is that the inflator is filled with compressed gas as well as the explosive components. So in this particular case, it's only the compressed gas that is uh, that is at issue. It's not a question of the actual pyrotechnics firing off. Um, because of that, it probably is kind of a flaccid inflation. It's probably enough to break the seal, but it's just kind of go drooping around rather than the full inflation that you would expect with um, a more exciting event. I'll, I'll leave the metaphors there. But uh, anyway, that's what a hybrid inflator means. It's got the compressed gas and the, the seal breaks and then the diffuser gets clogged and the uh, diffuser does exactly what you'd think it would do. It just softens the uh, the rate of flow of the gas into the airbag. For those of you just tuning in, this is not the urology podcast. This is the Center for Auto Safety's 
podcast. Uh, and with that, that is our uh, show. Unless you gentlemen want to, you know, wish fair tidings and whatnot. We'll be back next week, right? Are we back? Final episode of the year next week? We yes. are back. Right. Next week should be our... Uh, we will dive a little deeper into the ARC airbag uh you know, the recall that NITS is pursuing, uh, the manufacturers came out over the last couple of days in their comments on the record. And there's kind of a unified group of manufacturers um, who are saying, you know, we don't agree. And we're, we're you know, it's it's setting up for either NITS to back down or NITS to order the manufacturers to do a recall and the manufacturer is going to court. So this one's going to take a, a long time to, um, get things straight uh and to uh, you know it's going to probably be years in court before we see some resolution on that one merry christmas (laughs) (laughs) happy new year well not it's not new year we'll be back for the new year's episode so happy holidays everyone thanks for listening hey and thanks in advance for donating and even more thanks for donate on behalf of your friends family loved ones Random people on the street, people who drive Teslas, people who want to drive a Tesla, people who've never seen a Tesla, people who want to be a race car driver. I can keep doing this for a long time. The two of you are just going to let me keep doing it, aren't you? Hey, and with that, thank you very much. Until next week, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Michael waves goodbye. Bye. <laughs> for more information, visit www.autosafety.org.